We'll be reading Philippians, starting in chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yudia and I implore Sintiche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Yet your, let your gentleness be known to the, all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. Good morning. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you and opened. Thank you, Noah, for reading this morning. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 7. We're, we're just about there, aren't we, uh, through the book of Philippians. Uh, we've got this week and we've got two more Sundays and we'll get through the book of, of Philippians. And it's been a joy, no pun intended, uh, to work through this particular book and uh, lots of helpful, applicable material once again today. So with that in mind, let's pray and we'll jump in here. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning to who you are, to how you operate, to what you want of us. See that we track with you on all things Desiring to please you in all things. And Lord, as we come to you this morning, we realize and recognize that we are bound to encounter conflict in this life. Teach us, Lord, what it is to work through conflict when it comes. Remind us that 
if possible, as much as depends on us, let us live at peace with others. As we look to your word, Lord, once again today, we're reminded that you speak. You've revealed yourself to us. We ask that you'd grant us ears to hear what you have to say today. Make us walk in the path of your commands. Keep us, Lord, walking steadfastly by faith, keeping our eyes fixed upon you each day. We're reminded that you are a good God and you do good in so many ways. We praise your name for providing 24-7 watch care over us. We thank you for your abundant blessings. We ask now that you would speak, Lord. Desire to hear what you have to say. As your servants, I pray we would see it as a privilege to hear what you have to say. Have your way, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Was reading and doing some some study this week for the passage and came across a a real short sentence from a particular author and, and yet it was also helpful just to stop and reflect on this short sentence. The author said, conflict is painful. How many of you can... Say it, amen, resonate with that. Conflict is painful. It sure can be. Anyone here experience any kind of, you know, we're, here we are, we're near the end of the calendar year, and maybe as you look back on the calendar year, anybody here experience any conflict over the course of this last year? Yeah? How about within the last month? How about this past week? How about this morning before you came in? Anybody? Anybody want to admit to it? Yeah. Conflict. Any conflicts going on currently at your workplace? That workplace can be the home too. Any scheduling conflicts that you've had to manage over the past few weeks? How about internal conflicts? These things that go on within us that that just wage war. It, It probably and ought to remind us of a spiritual battle that happens. Lots of different types of conflict abound. But one seems to be particularly painful. And that's what we know as interpersonal conflict. The conflict that exists between you and another person. Or the conflict that exists between that other person and you. Conflict can be painful. You know, when we're working through difficult things like conflict, isn't it comforting to know that God's word 
has something to say about this painful, difficult, challenging thing called conflict? God's word speaks to this. Dealing with people. It's, it's been said that when folks are asked about their particular jobs, the reply is, if it weren't for the fact that I had to deal with people, this job would be fantastic. <laughs> and yet, dealing with people is not an option, is it? You want a job? You need to know how to relate to people. Want to eventually be married and have a family? It's important you know how to relate to people. I was thinking about what I've been doing a lot of lately. Want to be a referee. You've got to know how to deal with people. I mean, we could go across the board and what you all do and you could... Do your own analysis and understand that you've got to be able to deal effectively at some level with people connected to a church. Brothers and sisters connected together, God's word says, it's pretty clear, God's word is clear that we are to be caring and ministering to one another. That no one flies solo and operates solo in the body of Christ. Well, the big idea this morning... From the text, God's way of handling conflict is resolution. Uh, The title, Conflict Resolved. This is God's way. And really this is part one of two parts. We'll get to the second part next week. But in in many ways, what we'll see is is today's really lays the foundation for what we're going to be talking about next week in those two verses for next week. God's way of handling conflict is resolution, to deal with it, to resolve it. How do we, here's a question, how do we arrive at resolution when conflict comes? How do we get there? What's it look like? What what is it that's necessary on our end if we're going to be participants in resolving this conflict that's painful? Hurtful, damaging, stressful, all the above. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, if it is possible, you know, there are some times, (laughs) and maybe some of you have been there. There's some times when try as you may. The other party has no desire to make peace. The Bible says in Romans 12, 18, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, if you have anything to do with it, live peaceably with all men. All men. High bar. High bar, because truth be told, There are some people that you and me probably don't want to live at peace with. Oh, I just probably said something that some of you were thinking. 
The Bible says that we are to, as much as depends on us, live at peace with all men. Then there's that line in Hebrews 12, 14 that says that we are to not only live at peace with all men, but we're to pursue peace with all people. That raises it up a notch, doesn't it? Not just if as much as it depends on live at peace, but pursue peace. Really, Lord? With him? With her? what the Bible seems to be advocating. Does the mandate to love one another go out the window when conflict arises? Are we at liberty just to tear that one out of the scripture when conflict comes? Love one another. Remember, if we do not love one another, we walk in the dark. Remember that, 1 John? Comes back to that time and again about loving your brother about walking in the light versus walking in the darkness does the conflict supersede that other person do we allow a circumstance or a situation to outweigh a relationship how often are we guilty of simply not wanting to resolve the conflict we just don't want to do it (laughs) and there's probably a whole slew of reasons why we wouldn't want to How often are we guilty of thinking we are right, he's wrong, she's wrong. We see it black and white. And when when the conflict comes, I'm right, he's wrong. Now, listen, when we are always in the right, we more than likely we'll see no need to resolve any conflict. Resolution probably isn't even on the radar. The other party just simply needs to shape up. They got to get it right. I mean, after all, I've, I've got the final answer to this. They're not agreeing with me. They've got work to do. Boy, what have we learned so far in the book of Philippians? Laying and setting aside our rights and privileges, considering the interests of others, full-time joy, all these things we... Do not all these things tie into what what we're talking about today with conflict? Absolutely. We like to win. We like to be right. If resolving conflict is God's way, I believe it is, what's the text before us have to say about this? The imperatives and the commands that are here in these verses are set in a context, like all of the messages that we preach. All these words are set in a context. We have before us today in, in these verses... Some of our favorite, most cited passages of Scripture. And yet I need to remind you that these familiar words reside in a context. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. It's a wonderful song to sing, isn't it? 
But those words sit in a context right here in the book of Philippians 4. I believe these two verses in 8 and 9 will come into greater light once we've seen 2 through 7 in their context. So as we look at the passage, uh, there'll be four specific things I want us to look at as we think about God's way. God's way of handling conflict is resolution. And so when we look at the passage, God's way is to, first of all, hear from verse 2. God's way is to address the conflict. Verse 2. Address the conflict. This, this, is, this is probably a message that could be preached just by itself. <laughs> address the conflict. Look at verse 2. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. You heard that phrase, I'm sure, being of the same mind already. There's no information given here in the text about these two women. There's no information given about the conflict between these two women. There's a lot of things that we don't know here. But one thing we do know They've not been operating of the same mind. As sisters in the Lord, they have not been on the same page. These two sisters reside in the church at Philippi. Remember, he's writing this church, this, this, this letter to the church at Philippi. And these two women were more than likely a part of the church. More than likely, these two women were a prominent part of the church, perhaps helping in some kind of uh, highly influential in the body of Christ. There, Philippi. Notice too from this passage, wherever there's a command in the scripture, there's usually good reason for it. Something is not happening that should be happening. And in this case, we have two women operating in a way they ought not operate. And the charge is to be of the same mind. Turn back one page to chapter 2. In verse 2, Paul says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He goes on and talks about and gives the prime example of that in Christ, right? Let this mind be yours, the one that was in Christ Jesus also, right? Verses 5 through 8. It's not the first time this issue has been brought forward. In fact, I believe that the reason this is now addressed in the last chapter of the letter, this comes now as no surprise because Paul has already been talking about being like-minded. But it gets a little closer to home here. In chapter 4. Be of the same mind. Paul has been dealing with certain themes in this particular letter. Full-time joy. 
This idea of rejoicing in the Lord, serving others, setting aside one's own interests, looking to Christ as the prime example to follow. And now here we are as the letter is turning a corner toward the end. Paul addresses the conflict that's come to his attention. Remember, where is Paul? He's in prison as he's writing. Paul is not at the church at Philippi. He's writing to the church. And the fact that he brings this forward leads us to believe that Paul has come to find out about this conflict. What I find also interesting is that the Lord moves him to write about this. Paul is one of several human authors in the 66 books of Scripture that we have. The Bible tells us that holy men of God spoke as God moved them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? 2 Peter chapter 1. So when we say that Paul addresses the conflict of these women, it's also true that God is dealing with conflict as well. It's important we see that. God himself desires that conflict gets addressed. This is God's way. He's moving Paul to address this very thing between these two women. Now listen, it's important as we look at verse 2, some might say, this seems petty that he would bring this up now. Uh, This seems maybe even inconsequential. Seems out of place. Low level. Why would he address this now? I'd like you to think about this. Imagine what dealing with this conflict would have done. Imagine the result of what's happening here. The letter is oftentimes read orally aloud to the church. And so here they are, they're reading the letter to the church. And we get to chapter 4, which what we know of chapter 4, they didn't know it was chapter 4 back then. We know it's chapter 4. And they get to the part where these names are brought out. Imagine you're Yodia or Sintiki and you're sitting in a chair. And you've been listening up to this point and you're going, oh, yeah, same-minded, like-minded, I'm with you, I'm with you, yep, yep, I got it. And now all of a sudden, you hear your name. How are you going to handle that one? And not only do you hear your name, but everybody else in the church hears your name. It's gotten personal all of a sudden, hasn't it? And it's interesting, when you look at the text, he says the word implore is there. It's attached to both of their names. It's almost like he's giving a specific exhortation, rebuke, and wants to make sure that it is for each one of them. But the whole church is hearing. You know, as I was looking at this and I came across, uh, I thought it was very interesting to see what their names meant. Uh, You know, Yodia uh, has in mind prosperous journey. 
Syntyche, a pleasant acquaintance. So we have these two women, uh, prosperous and pleasant, who seemingly can't get along. They're not of the same mind in the Lord. There's some kind of conflict happening between these two women. And Paul is writing and he's saying, this is God's way. Church, we need to understand this is God's way. Address the conflict. How often have you been in a situation, and perhaps all of us have been there before, where the conflict that you and the other party and the other parties all know about it, we know it as the elephant. Have you ever heard it talked about as the elephant? There's an elephant in the room, and no one wants to talk about it. Listen, it's hard to hide an elephant. You ever tried to hide an elephant? You think you could hide an elephant if it was in the room? It'd be really hard. Another way we look at this is try to sweep it under the rug, right? God's way is address it. Deal with it. Is it going to hurt? Is it going to be painful? Maybe. Perhaps. But hold on because it's going to get better as the verses go here. It's going to get better if you understand this and keep, keep following what the, what the text says. Each one of these women is called to be of the same mind in the Lord. So that's the first thing, verse 2. God's way is to address the conflict. Here's the second one. God's way, I love this. God's way is to use people to handle people conflicts. This is taken from verse 3. Address the conflict. And then what we see as part of God's way in handling this is that God actually trusts people enough to handle people conflicts. Isn't that amazing? These broken vessels that we are. God and his word, his way is that his people... Handle conflicts that happen between people. Now, this is interesting. Look at verse 3. And I urge you also, true companion, help. That's a key word here. Help these women. Those two he just talked about in verse 2. Help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. God's way is to use people to handle people interpersonal conflicts. God tends to use people. I mean, time and time again through Scripture, how often is he using people to accomplish his purposes? Why is it that we think that dealing with conflict would be any different? That God would want to use people to help resolve conflict? Galatians 6 was drawn to that as I was reading this. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, 
You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of, and you can underline this because it comes into play here in the text a little bit later, in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When Paul says in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens, the burden is the boulder. The burden is the big, heavy load that this other person can't carry. And we're called in Christ to come and bear the load with them. And in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. We are loving our brother. Well, the text says here that I urge you also, true companion. Uh, By the way, we don't know who this true companion is. Lots of speculation out there about who the true companion is. I heard all kinds of different things this week as I was studying. Some of them were quite interesting. One of them was intriguing just to think about it, at least at at some level. And the true companion being Lydia, the one there in in the church, kind of the the beginning founder uh, of that church. Uh, But we could speculate a long, long while to try and figure out who the true companion is or some translations, the loyal yoke fellow is some of your translations. It's like, what is this? Who is this? Listen, we don't know exactly who it is. We're a little unclear. Just like in verse two, we're a little unclear about all the details of the conflict, right? They've been charged, these two women, to be of the same mind. The fact the charge comes leads us to believe they haven't been of the same mind. There's some things we don't know from verse two. There's some things we don't know in verse 3. But one thing we do know in verse 3 is that there's this charge. He's urging a little bit different word than implore in verse 2 with these women. Verse 2, the word uh, implore really has more of a rebuke in mind. Whereas verse 3, urge, I urge you, my true companion. It's really more of a request. It's more of a uh, a command that's set forth to this true companion, given like more of a, an apostolic authority. Hey, I really want you to come alongside. And the church would have known who the true companion is. You know, there are a lot of things. I find this interesting. A lot of things when we read the Bible that we on the other side of the cross know that they didn't know then. Well, this is kind of flipped right here. We don't know who the true companion is. They would have. They would have known who it is. The true companion would have known who he is or she is. If it happened to be a she, I, I, I don't know. I'm not even going to speculate male, female. But we're clear on what Paul is calling this person to do. And it's tied into how God, in his way of handling conflict, what's he do? How does he handle it? The word help there has in mind to aid or to assist, to take and bring together. I was thinking about a peacemaker. One mature in the faith to come alongside and bring the two parties together. Notice the word is help. Now, Dads and moms, when you are helping your children do something, hopefully you're not just doing it all for them. 
all the time. When you help them with something, you assist them. You come alongside them and help them to be able to engage and go through that process. The charge here is for this true companion to help these women. The peacemaker in the conflict cannot do it all for the parties involved directly in the conflict. They still have to be the primary ones and take primary responsibility to address and handle the conflict between them. But the peacemaker, the true companion, is tasked with helping both parties arrive at peace. And that happens as both parties look to the Lord and consider the interests of others. So we don't know exactly who the true companion is, but we're clear on his role. He's called to help not resolve the conflict himself, but help in the conflict. Help. And I believe this is instructive to us on a couple fronts. One, how often have you been in a peacemaker role? Maybe you're here today and you've found yourself before in a peacemaker role and you've tried to resolve conflict of two other people. How helpful are you when you engage in peacemaking? I would ask you, how are you helping? How do you help? Do you just give your best opinion? You know, when people come and, and they come to me and there's been over, over the years in ministry, one of the first things I always tell folks when they come, I'm not going to give you my opinion because my opinion doesn't matter a whole lot. I'm going to give you what I know to be true from God's word. What kind of help do you give others? Are you pointing them together, pointing them to the word? Especially if these two are believers. Don't we have a wonderful opportunity as a peacemaker to place before these two believers the word of God that they hold to? Are you, as a helper, seeing your role as an arbitrator only, pointing out who's right, who's wrong? Do you as the helper, are you taking sides with one, pushing away the other? That's why I'm asking, what kind of help are you giving? Are you really being helpful? As a mature brother or sister, your role is to come alongside these parties and bring them together in the Lord, using the word as your gauge and your guide for truth. Listen, be helpful, not harmful. Be helpful. Truly desire to be helpful. When you point people to this word, you can be helpful. Now listen, I say that and I'm going to say something else here. It's going to sound like I'm contradicting, but I'm not. (laughs) When you put God's word into play in a conflict situation, in a peacemaking role... This is always going to be most helpful. Asterisk. The parties that you are endeavoring to help and bring together, those parties may not receive and accept this word in the immediate. There may be lots of pushback. But know 
that as God puts you in that position to be a peacemaker and you put his word into play, you are helping them in the best way possible. God's way is to address the conflict and to use people to handle people conflicts. Now in the text, I want to jump just a moment because I believe the text does this. That's why I want to do this. This is, as, I, as I'm looking at the text this week, I really believe the next step in this, as we're, as we're considering what the text says, is to go to verse 5. God's way is to set conflict. Set conflict in light of Christ's return. And this is uh, in verse 5. And uh, Ralph, I, I, I would agree that that last part of verse 5 needs to be set up. We need to pass a motion if we can and put a, put a, a special verse marking there. Uh, I, in so many ways, it fits. It really does to, to address this first before we look at what comes before and what comes after. So we're looking at conflict resolved. This is God's way. God's way of handling conflict is resolution. And his, his way is to address it, to use people to, to address this and help other people handle their conflicts. But God's way is also to set conflict in light of Christ's return. Look, look at that verse there at the end of verse 5, that sentence. The Lord is at hand. Or some translations might say the Lord is near. Near as in a place. Scripture gives us an instance where Jesus is near Jerusalem. Near as in close at hand. Romans 10 verse 8, the word is near you. Um, could be near to God as, as in being in covenant with him. Uh, this difference that's brought forth in Ephesians 2.13. We who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Right? That's how we've been brought near is through his blood. So we see here in the text, uh, setting this conflict in light of Christ's return. This is such an important thing because if we're going to really start walking through the how-tos and resolving the conflict... Baseline, baseline understanding is setting conflict in light of Christ's return. What we're going to see that this little sentence here at the end of verse 5 is going to apply to what comes in 4 in the first part of 5, but it also applies to what comes in verse 6. And the outflow of 6 is going to flow into something in 7 as we talk about resolving conflict. Really, there's a promise on the back end of this. And that's the wonderful thing we see in verse 7 with the peace of God. Okay? So I, I don't want to spend a, a huge amount of time on, on this one other than just to say, if we are endeavoring to handle conflict apart from any sight of eternity, um, we're going to be in the muck and mire of our circumstance probably. And we're going to see a lot of our circumstance and we're not going to see um, how our actions, uh, how our attitudes uh, toward that other brother or sister uh, are really 
lining up with God's word of truth because we get so stuck and we get these blinders on being able to deal effectively with the conflict. We we sometimes, all we want to do is deal with the conflict, i.e. win the conflict. And we lose sight of the relationship. See, when we lose sight of the relationship, I believe in many ways we've lost sight of Christ and his return. The Lord is at hand. The Bible says we are pilgrims, aren't we? We're sojourners. Pilgrims and sojourners going through conflict. It's it's important that we address it. It's important we deal with it. In light of Christ's return. How many of you here today believe Jesus is coming back one day? Anybody here believe that? Okay. I believe the Bible would advocate that. He is coming back. In light of the fact Jesus is coming back, are you willing to forego you being right? You might be right. But is that more important than getting this relationship right in light of Christ's return? Hopefully I don't have to answer that question. This is a big deal. Christ's return. And this sets the stage. This establishes the whole foundation of, of this last point. It's a last point. It's got lots of tentacles to it. But I'll put it down here. Uh, and that is just... Simply put, God's way is to resolve conflict. Resolve. Resolve it. How do we go about it? Let's look at the text. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, we love that as a song. But this verse comes right on the heels of addressing conflict and a word specifically to this true companion about helping in the conflict. Notice at the end of verse 2, as Paul is saying to this true companion to help these women who labored with him and they also labored with Clement and they labored among the rest of Paul's fellow workers... And then he says this phrase, whose names are in the book of life. Boy, doesn't that like, that like launches us, I think of a catapult, launches us into the book of Revelation, the book of life. Names written in the book of life. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying that these women, even in the midst of their conflict, he's reminding them, he's really trying to help them, I think, address their conflict, but he's also encouraging them. Remember, ladies, your names are in the book of life. Get a perspective. Christ's coming back. Verse 4. How we resolve this conflict. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Why does he repeat it? You ever thought about that? I, I I think it was probably hard to hear the first time. And so he repeats it again a second time. And the reason it would be hard to hear the first time is because of that word always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Are you kidding me? In the midst of conflict, is that the first thing on your list? Rejoice? It's sort of like what James says about trials in chapter 1. Consider it pure joy when you go through these trials of many kinds. And rejoice in the Lord always. In case you didn't hear it the first time, rejoice. 
Remember who's writing. And I think this carries a lot of weight in these words. Paul is writing, moved by the Spirit, while he's sitting in prison. So he's in a little bit of a conflict himself. In fact, he says and uses the word itself in chapter 1, verse 30. Remember that? He says, having the same conflict, the same struggle which you saw in me and now here is in me. I'm going through a conflict. (laughs) I'm going through a struggle. I'm in the midst of some hard times. But I'm writing and I'm writing to tell you to rejoice in the Lord and not just to do it in the moment, but to be about it always. If we're going to resolve conflict, we have to remember to rejoice in the Lord always. Look at verse five. Here's the second part of this. By the way, Four exhortations or commands here. Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Let your gentleness be known to all men. Let your gentleness. It was an interesting study this week looking at this word gentleness. Um, I was was drawn to uh, seeing how this word is used in the scripture. And and translations will give us uh, reasonableness. Let your, uh, your, your considerableness, your forbearing spirit... This is a word that's used by Paul in the pastorals, uh, speaking about an elder, that he's to be gentle, not quarrelsome. Uh, Titus speaks and uses this word when he's rem- uh, and Paul is reminding Titus there in the church, Crete, that remind them to speak evil of no one, to be, I love how these words are captured and, and put together, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. And then we see in James chapter 3 that this wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Those are, I love those three words together. Peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Gentle. Let your gentleness be known or be made known or be made manifest Gentleness is something that is made known to all men, says in the text. So if if this is to be known to all men, it's something that those around you ought to be able to see. Rejoicing in the Lord is something that is not a outward necessarily, it may show outwardly, but the rejoicing that you have in the Lord comes from inside, does it not? The gentleness that's being called for here is something that's to be made manifest and known to all men. Not just those in the church, by the way. To all. Do all that you come in contact with. Do they all see evidence of your gentleness? Men, I'm going to press this one just a little bit on you because I think sometimes we tend to think gentle is weak. Gentle means soft, as in wimpy. That's not the biblical idea of the word. In fact, we see two words uh, maybe alike in some ways, uh, gentleness and meekness. This was interesting in studying these two words out because meekness is uh, defined as strength under control. Meekness is something in the interior that comes out, but it's something really on the interior. Gentleness is something that really gets seen on the exterior. Gentleness gets extended to other people. 
Meekness is something that is working inside of us. It shows, no doubt about it, it shows. It showed in the life of Christ, his meekness. Showed in the life of Moses, his meekness. Rejoice in the Lord always. Second exhortation and think about resolving conflict. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Remember, keep in mind, what's our, what's our framework here, our, our groundwork, our, our, our stabilizing factor is, is that last sentence in verse 5. The Lord is at hand. When we realize and keep that in the forefront, the Lord is at hand, these exhortations then make a whole lot of sense. Rejoice in the Lord always. We can rejoice in the Lord always, having Christ in us, knowing he's coming back, knowing that this affliction we go through right now, this conflict is but for a moment. There's something better coming. So we've gotten to the first two. Look on the other side of the Lord is at hand. Keep tracking, we're about done. Verse six. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right, so here's exhortation number three. Number one was rejoice in the Lord. Number two was let your gentleness be known. Again, set those in the context of the Lord is at hand. Keep in mind, the Lord is at hand. Now we're going to verse six. Be anxious for nothing. Here again, I think there's a word that we really have a hard time with. It's it's a difficult word in in this exhortation. And the word is nothing. Be anxious for not even one thing. How are we doing with anxiety? Can we use an interchangeable word here? Uh, Care, uh, concern, worry. One of, the, one of the passages of Scripture that, that maybe you turned to this week as you were studying this is in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. There's a great passage of Scripture there where Jesus addresses very clearly this issue of worry. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Right? We all say amen to that. It does. The next day. Well, let's worry about the one here before us. Let's take inventory of this day. Who of you by worrying? Right? I mean, it's like six times mentioned in that passage in Matthew 6. Worry, care, concern. Be anxious for nothing. The word is, has in mind to expend careful thought to. Uh, Outside of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 19 Jesus tells his disciples not to worry about what to speak when you're handed over, but that the Holy Spirit will give you words to speak. Don't worry. Don't, don't, don't expend careful thought in this regard. The Spirit will give you words to speak. Or the passage in Luke 10, verse 41, where Jesus says, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. You, you, you're thinking about a whole lot of things here. Let, let's... Let's just, let's just pare this down here. It's also used to concern one's self. We see in Corinthians 12, verse 25, how we are to care for one another. 
in the body. It's used in a positive way. We're, we're to provide care for one another. This particular word uh, also has in mind the, uh, to have our thoughts occupied with. And we see this in Corinthians chapter 7. And the word there is used in many occasions as care. Care. Or, or sometimes it can even be used in a, in a, in a manner of a distraction. A distraction in Corinthians chapter 7. Resolving conflict, thinking about these exhortations here. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing. Someone said that about 90% of the things that we worry about don't ever come to pass. And the 10% that do, oftentimes it's not as bad as what we make it up to be. We worry about a lot of things. We concern ourselves over a whole slew of things that perhaps we ought not to. In fact, this is not an option here. This is a command in the scripture. Be anxious about nothing. Is it a far cry to say that anxiety, worry about something is sin in God's eyes? See, it's one of those, uh, Jerry Bridges refers to this in his book, uh, In Respectable Sins, his title of the book. <laughs> it's one of those subtle sins, worry, anxiety. One we often don't think too much about, maybe don't think about it in the arena of sin. But what happens when we're worrying? One of the things that happens when we are being anxious is we are saying, whether we verbalize it or not, we're saying to God, I don't trust you. Think about it. I don't, I don't tr trust. It's, it's the opposite of it. We worry about it. And it eats us up. Perhaps as we consider resolving conflict. This would be one that we would do well to consider. And know that being anxious for nothing. This is, this is so good because uh, one of the writers here, I, I, was, I was drawn to this. It, it talked about this God's presence uh, being always, he talks about in verse 4, rejoicing in the Lord, how that is uh, on the interior. That is something that we see on the inside coming out. And we see that this verse 5, this gentleness being made known. So we have this joy within. We have what he calls this big heartedness all around, gentleness to all men. And now he says, prayerful trusting in God above. Love that combination. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. You see the contrast there? Nothing and everything. Anxious in nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication. Prayer is the big umbrella. Supplication, perhaps more of a zoom, narrowed down, specific request. It's couched with thanksgiving. 
Our prayers ought to be all couched with thanksgiving, a remembrance of what God's done in our past. It's a reminder that when we pray now in the present, we ought to be thankful because we've seen God work and show up in our lives in so many ways. And the last exhortation then is to let your requests be made known to God. That word's interesting that it be made known. It's the same word that we saw in verse 5. And it applied to gentleness. We're to let our gentleness be made known to men. We're to let our requests be made known to God. See how this works. Again, it's sitting in the context of conflict and how we go about resolving it. And what's God's way here? Well, we're getting to what we got to here in verse 6. And, and what's wonderful in verse 7 is we're, we're getting, when we move in this conflict situation, when we start moving and progressing toward God, things start to get a lot brighter. Things start to get a whole lot better. Conflict starts to dissipate. Conflict, Lord willing, gets resolved. There's a whole lot here that could be said and specifically in regard to the power of prayer. I'd like to look at verse 7. As we look at these four exhortations in regard to resolving conflict, I think it's helpful for us to look at verse 7 and to be able to see what I would see is the promise here on the other side. There's a promise here. There's a promise. And the peace of God. Notice the conjunction, and. And the peace of God. It's almost like a, a result, if you will. Okay? Be anxious about nothing, but in everything with, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Side note. What requests are we to make known to God? Whatever falls under the umbrella of everything. Right? Isn't that what the text says? In everything. Does that not include conflict? Look at this wonderful promise in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus will guard. Love that word there. Has in mind to keep one in a state of settlement or a state of security. It's the uh, same word that's used in 1 Peter 1, 5. It speaks of how we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. We are kept secure. We're, it's settled The peace of God, which surpasses, goes beyond. It's the same word that we saw earlier talking about better than. I believe it was back in chapter 2. Looking out for the interests of others. Let each consider himself others better than himself. That that word better than there in chapter 2 is the same word that's used here as we apply it to surpassing far superior, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. We don't grasp all of it here 
this peace of God. It's important for us to understand the peace of God works in the life of one who is in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. We have to make sure, first and foremost, we have peace with God, Romans 5.1, in order that we can experience the peace of God. And friends, this is what is, is sad and tragic when we come to a, a holiday weekend such as the one like Christmas. There are so many who do not have peace with God. And therefore, when holidays roll around, absent in their life is this peace of God. Here, as we bring our request to him on the other side of this, the peace of God which surpasses, goes way beyond. It's superior than our understanding. We can't gather it all in how his peace of God is at work in us. But we know from his word that he's given to us his Holy Spirit if we are his. And his Holy Spirit working in us is going to provide and be our great teacher and comforter and strength. And he's going to provide us with that peace. Jesus himself said before he left to the cross, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but I give to you. He says in John 16, in this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome. There's a certain peace that he provided for his people and a certain peace that he's left with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. This peace is going to, this peace of God is going to guard. It's going to stand as a military guard, if you will. Garrison. Think about, think about a guard on a watchtower watching the inside of the wall, watching those on the inside leave. This is interesting because I think what we'll cover next week We'll have capture some of the same idea, but maybe think about it from uh, what's coming in as opposed to what's going out. And think about uh, this whole idea of resolving conflict and peace of God, surpassing our understanding, guarding our hearts and minds. Think about the peace of God at work inside, guarding, standing as a sentinel, guarding, watching your heart, your mind. As you consider that for just a moment, I think it's also important for us to understand that this conflict that, that happens, I, I, was, I was thinking about this as, as we were looking at the guarding aspect, that peace is promised, peace is given, irrespective of whether the specific requests are granted or not. God's peace will mightily flood over those who with thanksgiving make their requests known to God. This is not a matter of his peace is only going to be given to you if you get your way. Let's make sure we don't equate that with the requests that are given to God. Guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Well, God's way is to resolve conflict. It's his way. His way is handling conflict and to bring about resolution. And you know, as we come to the end of verse 7, again, understanding a whole lot more uh, could be said here about a, a few of these verses in particular. Um, I think it's important for us to understand that we were once 
ourselves in conflict with God. Sin separated us. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that he, in his redemptive plan, chose to deal with this conflict. Praise God. He took the initiative and he begins the reconciling work through his son at the cross. He's passed along, by the way, this reconciliation work, 2 Corinthians 5, you can read about this, to his people. We are called to be reconciled to one another, but that can only happen when we are first truly reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, let's commit to resolving conflict God's way. He's given to us instruction here in his word. Let's address it. Let's be helpful to others through it. Let's be receptive to the truth when it comes our way. Oh, it's easy, isn't it not, to be the one dispensing the help? Perhaps not so easy when we're on the receiving end of the word in the middle of the conflict. Let's remember to set conflict always in the light of Christ's return. Have that as our baseline so that whenever we walk through those valley of the shadow of death moments, guess what? That's our baseline. That, we, walk, we walk into that. We go through that understanding and knowing that his rod and his staff, they're with us. They're going to comfort us. Bottom line, let's resolve. Let's resolve the conflict in these brief days ahead of us. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Be anxious for not even one thing. And let your requests be made known to God. Big, small, anything in between. Everything. And know there's a promise on the end of that. His peace. The peace of God. Have you ever been through a situation and you responded in a way that you look back now and you go, I don't know how it happened. But you could probably put your finger on the fact that God gave you an incredible peace to handle a really hard situation. Friends, that's the peace of God at work in your life through his word. Don't discount that. And as we'll see next week, this peace of God that flows and works in your life and is promised to to work so in your life, it comes from a God who is peace. For the Lord's sake, for the Lord's honor, let's please the Lord by handling conflict his way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your words of truth. Help us be a people, Lord, that when conflict arises, we have already established this foundation of understanding that your son's coming back. Help us understand, Lord, and have as a foundation 
that your word is true. Lord, when we know and, and by faith receive your word as truth in our lives, any conflict that comes of which we're a part or of which we are a peacemaker helping, Lord, your word, your word's going to be central to resolving the conflict. I pray, Lord, that you would break stubborn, cold hearts that don't want to give in. That, Lord, you would break through, through your word and penetrate. There may be some here even today that are are right now being used of you as a peacemaker in the the lives of, of two other parties. And I pray you would grant them wisdom to know how to help these parties come together. Father, there may be some here today that are right now entrenched in conflict with another party. This interpersonal conflict, they are themselves in the middle of it. And I pray, Lord, that this word would be helpful to them. That they might know and they might have eyes open to be able to see, ears opened to be able to hear your word of truth. And as they hear your word this day, Lord, I pray that it would change their perspective their attitude, their hearts, that they would respond much differently, that they would turn and be quick to turn and be quick to repent. Lord, I thank you for the promise that's in the word of this peace of yours, this peace of God which surpasses all of our understanding. And we thank you, Lord, that it's a peace that guards as a watchman guards our heart and our mind. Thank you for doing for us, Lord, what we can't do. But Lord, the things we can do, I pray, you would move us to do those things. As the psalmist said, make us walk in the path of your commandments. Make us, move us in that way, Lord. I pray it would be our heart's desire to handle conflict your way. We've had enough painful, hurtful experiences trying to do things our own way. And I pray, Lord, we would lay those down and surrender those to you and instead take up this counsel from your word, desire to walk in it, desire to rejoice in it, and desire to see the fruit that comes of it. Teach us, Lord. It's through these times of conflict that you grow us and you strengthen us. You teach us great things through our trials. Mature us in the faith, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.